All right, good morning. Again, I'm thankful here. Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, however you want to say it. Uh, last week, we spent time talking about the birth of Christ, right? We talked about the, the Jesus story of Emmanuel, right? And the emphasis was what, right? Can you say it with me? God with us. I, that, was, that was a test, okay? Let's say it again. Emmanuel is God with us, okay? And we spent a lot of time on that because the whole world stops, or at least our country, right, to celebrate Christmas, and we looked at it as an opportunity to share Jesus. We looked at it as an opportunity for us to stop and to think about God being with us and to affirm, yes, the fact is, if we look through the history of Scripture, the history of our own lives, that Emmanuel is true. God is with us, right? Amen? So today we're going to continue the story And we're going to follow Jesus into adulthood, but we're going to stop for a second in the one story we have of young Jesus. Okay, if you're like me, I wish there were a lot more of these stories of young Jesus. I wish there was more stories about Jesus, like learning how to walk or something, right? Or maybe even Jesus having his, like, first real stomach ache. I think about that all the time. Like, I want, you know, Jesus being sick. You know, he's a human, right? I I want more stories of Jesus at this time of his life, but we just get one, okay? And it's going to be in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles to follow along, I'll have it up here on the scripture, or excuse me, on the screen, the scripture on the screen today. So we'll, let's read together Luke 2 41 and following. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was with their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him. Whoops. They found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, here we have Jesus coming of age, right? We have this time period, they reference his, his age, and they reference this time period where there seems to be some kind of transitioning happening within him as a man, right? In our society, we kind of see 18 as that number, right? And kind of, not really, uh, right? We, we, we say that you can leave the house, maybe, go to college, go get in the workforce full-time, whatever it might be, graduate high school, We see that as our age. I think what we're supposed to take from this is that this is Jesus' age, right? This is the time where he's transitioning from just being a boy into being more responsible as man. And that's a little bit different, right? 12 years old, I would freak out if I thought about my son. He's almost nine. You know, he's not there yet, right? (laughs) But that's what I want us to have in our mind as we think about this story of Jesus. He's coming of age. He's transitioning here. But today, I don't want you to see today's sermon as a parenting lesson, and I'm definitely not shaming Mary and Joseph, okay? I don't want you to walk away saying that Mary and Joseph were bad parents, because I think the opposite is true, right? But I think God is revealing something very big 
in this small story we just read. And as we read, we need to hear echoes from the past. Okay, We need to look first at 1 Samuel to understand Luke 2. Okay, and just to recap, to bring you up to speed as what, what is happening in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah is barren, okay? She's kind of the main character at the very beginning of 1 Samuel. She's barren, but she prays to God, and she continues to pray to God, and she wants to have a child so bad, and she finally is granted a child by God, right? We're familiar with this story. And then Samuel is dedicated. Samuel is uh, Hannah's son. Right? And, and she weans him and she gives him over to be dedicated to God, to be consecrated to the ministry of God. So Samuel, he lives with, this, with Eli and he takes care of him and he mentors Samuel. Okay, So that's 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 19. Each year his mother, Hannah, made, a, made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up to, with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah, his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Elkanah and, and Hannah are the same person, by the way. Okay. Um, excuse me, sorry. It's his, it's, it's his husband. Hannah's not mentioned here. I just wanted to say that. Okay. Uh, then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. Sorry, she's right there. I'm out of it today. Okay, I'm sorry. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Okay, are you hearing something that might remind you here? Samuel, Samuel's parents come once a year. Okay, that's, that's very similar to what we just read in Luke chapter 2. Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And even further, Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 2, 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Are you getting a little ding, ding, ding moment right there? You're hearing something that's echoing from Luke chapter 2. Something should be going on. And this is what I always tell the, to the youth group, and that's what I always say here. If anything in Scripture makes you think of something else in Scripture, it's probably supposed to, okay? If there is this echoing, this kind of reminds me of this, it's probably supposed to. It's supposed to remind you, excuse me, Luke chapter 2 is supposed to remind you of Samuel growing up in the presence of the Lord and with Eli, okay? The situations are very similar. And and this is not a story, again, about Hannah versus Mary. These two women face off, right? They're both very dedicated servants of God. We're not comparing them whatsoever. And it's not really even about them, okay? It's about what God is telling us through the lives of Samuel and Jesus, okay? And just to tell you a little bit more about 1 Samuel chapter 2, if you were to read 1 Samuel chapter 2, it's very disjointed, okay? If you have your Bibles in front of you, you would see that it's not a flowing story, okay? Hannah prays, and then Eli's sons are bad, okay? There's a story about Hannah praying, and then Eli's sons are talked about. They're very, very wicked people. And then Hannah visits Samuel, like we just read, but then there's this little brief paragraph about Eli's sons being bad again, okay? And then Samuel's growing in favor of God. And then there's this little section about Eli's house being wicked and cursed. And then 1 Samuel chapter 3 is about Samuel being dedicated to God and hearing his calling from God. It's very disjointed. Are you with me? There's this sense of Samuel is here and then Eli's sons are wicked. Samuel is good, but Eli's sons are not, okay? Very, very disjointed. Luke 2 reads very differently. It's very smooth. It's a narrative. It's a story that you can follow. Luke is telling us deep truths about Mary and Joseph along the way. 
Okay, follow with me. I know I'm, I'm speaking around this situation quite a bit, but we have this story about Hannah and Samuel going back and forth between Eli and his sons, and then we have this story about Jesus and Mary and his father, uh, Joseph, in this time period as well. And we learn about Joseph and Mary and what they are doing to please God and show their dedication to God, okay? And these are a few verses that show you just how dedicated Joseph and Mary are. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name of the angel had given to him before he was conceived. They're following directions. When it was time to do this, and they gave him the name. Continuing on in Luke 2, 22, when the time came for the purification that was required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord. Continuing on, to offer a sacrifice sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves and two young pigeons. Continuing on, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought them the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Continuing on, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Okay, I, I know that was a lot all at once. But what am I trying to get you to understand about Mary and Joseph? They're dedicated to the law. Okay? As you read Luke chapter 2, it's this flowing sequence. It's very, very neat. Okay? And you follow along this couple that is doing everything they possibly can do to do what this angel and what God has, has blessed them to carry out to do. And guess what? They are doing well. They're checking all the boxes. We're going to circumcise them on the eighth day. We're going to do this thing. We're going to, we're going to make sure we're following the law of Moses as perfectly as we can. Now compare that to the story we read about in Luke, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 2. It's chaotic. These two things are not the same, but I think they're trying to get us to understand the exact same thing. We're going to come back to that in a second. Have you ever gone through life on autopilot before? Have you ever experienced that? Maybe you've been driving, and then you think, how many lights have I just gone through? Like, were they all green? Like, you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you're cooking dinner, and you've done something so many times that you touch a hot pan, and you're just like, whoa, I was not there for a second. You've been through there, through that before. I was reading in this book about this experiment. Um, let me get this guy's name right. M.W. Fox. I don't want to plagiarize here. This is not my experiment. Okay, M.W. Fox. He did this experiment with mother turkeys and polecats. And if you don't know what a polecat is, it's basically a vicious ferret. Okay, and the mother turkey and the polecat do not see eye to eye. Okay, and when a mother turkey sees a polecat. The very first thing that mother turkey does is try to kill that polecat because the polecat is after the turkey's babies, okay? We all understand that. Not new news, okay? You don't mess with the mother hen's chicks. Polecats love to do that. But what the experiment did is that they were trying to see why the mother turkey protects their, their chicks. And if they would protect the mother turkey, or excuse me, the baby turkeys, if they just heard the sound of the baby turkeys, so what they did to, to do this experiment was they brought a little stuffed polecat in front of a mother turkey, and guess what the mother turkey did? She destroyed that stuffed polecat, obliterated it. But then the researchers, they put a tape recorder inside that same exact stuffed animal to make the same exact sounds that the baby turkeys made. And guess what the mother turkey did? She protected the polecat. When the mother turkey just heard the chirping, 
from this recorder inside of its mortal enemy, something went off in her brain to say that I need to protect this stuffed animal who's actually my enemy, right? But the moment the researchers turn off the sound, guess what Mother Turkey does? Destroys polecat, okay? And I can imagine the same exact thing happening, this, this thing of autopilot, this thing of stuff just happening. I can just see this happening with Mary and Joseph when they're there for, in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. If you're a parent, and, and you don't just have to be a parent. Everybody's been through this, like I said. But I can just imagine they're on their way home. The entire family's together. Maybe John the Baptist is there. You know, maybe Elizabeth is, is there too. Who knows who's there? And Mary and Joseph, like I said, they do this every single year, right? And every single year, they're walking home with the same people, probably telling the same jokes and the same stories. And they look back and they see, you know, the other group of cousins together. And they just assume that Jesus is with the other cousins and brothers and sisters. They get into that cycle where everything is fine. You've been there, right? They see the group of cousins. I'm sure Jesus is with them. I'm sure it's fine. Until it's not, right? Until they get that startling realization that, oh my goodness, our son, this son that we've been entrusted to carry, this son that's supposed to be the savior of all humanity, we lost Jesus. That's got to be an awful feeling. And I can just uh, feel their anxiety, right? This is Mary speaking to Jesus. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. You think about it, they traveled for a day, and then it took them three more days to find Jesus. That is terrifying. They don't have phones, right? They don't have GPS. They don't have any way of really knowing where Jesus is at this time period, and they are frustrated. And I can just see that moment where their minds are on autopilot because they've done everything right up to this point, right? Everything has been in order. They've been living their lives according to what the law has, has, has obliged them to do. And in this moment, they got into that sense of autopilot, and they just lost Jesus. How does this happen? Well, we can all answer. We know exactly how this happens. We do it ourselves. And, and, and I want to say this. I, you know, I don't want to be too you know, metaphorical here, but sometimes we can lose sight of Jesus too, Right? We can lose sight of Jesus too, especially, now listen very carefully, for those people who were brought up in the church. Are you with me? Especially the people that, you know, when you came of age, you got baptized, and maybe you were great at Bible Bowl. Maybe you were great at doing puppets or something. Maybe you were an awesome teenager at CFBC. Maybe you were even Mr. or Miss CFBC. All right, maybe you've served on communion. Maybe you've helped do all the food. Maybe you've done every little thing that you could possibly do for the church, but all the while your brain is on autopilot and you're missing sight of Jesus the entire time. Can you feel that? Do you understand what that's like? I think many of us could probably nod our heads at this time. I am right now. We just celebrated Christmas. We just last week talked about Emmanuel, God literally being with us, dwelling among his people. But even now, we can lose sight of Christ. Even now, we can lose sight of Emmanuel until next year when we start singing about it again. We got to reverse that. Are you with me? We got to reverse that, that um, 
I don't know, coming down off the Christmas high where it's, everything is so bright and new and awesome and it's easy to see Jesus and it's easy to realize God is with us, we got to keep that same energy, people. We've got to keep that same energy for Emmanuel. So my question is, you're probably thinking, okay, Jimmy, you, said, you talked about 1 Samuel. You left me hanging there. Why bring up 1 Samuel? Because God has been showing us that he's been with us since the beginning of time. And this is, sounds like a reboot of last week, and it kind of is. Because I think we need to hear it again. God is saying to us that he is faithful even in the midst of sin. And even in the midst of a people who turn their brands on the autopilot when they walk in the doors. Right? First Samuel, like I said, it does not read like Luke chapter 2. It reads very choppy. Hannah is praying to God. She's dedicating her son. She was barren and now she has a child and she gives that only child over to God. But then we have this little period of peace about Eli's sons being wicked. And then we have some more good news about Samuel being a great, you know, He's ministering to God, but Eli's sons and Eli's family are going to be cursed. And then we have this great story about Samuel hearing his calling from God. It's this back and forth, back and forth. God is in the middle of all that. God is showing up. God is faithful in the middle of sin. And God is faithful when we don't recognize him at all. Even though Eli's sinful family had influence on Samuel... God was still pursuing him, right? God was still pursuing him. God was still able to, we're still able to look back at Samuel and say he grew in favor of God. And we can look at Jesus and we can look at the situation he's in. He's got a, a couple of parents, I'm sure, who loved him to death. And even they were able to overlook the significance of what's taking place, Right? The autopilot experience. God still shows up in those moments. And even though Christ was overlooked by his parents, that doesn't mean he was forgotten. That doesn't mean he was, you know, you know, put in the corner, right? But I think it should wake us up to say, hey, we can do the exact same thing. We can overlook Christ if Mary and Joseph can overlook Christ. It is our job to not do that. It is our job to also look at the end of Luke chapter 2, where it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. In 1 Samuel, where Samuel grew in favor of God, we need to aspire to that as well. Right? This isn't just things for Bible characters to do. And I use characters there intentionally because sometimes we just see them as characters. These are real-life people, and we can aspire to be just like them in growing in wisdom and favor with God and man. God will be faithful as we pursue him. So as this holiday season dies down, like I said, we're coming. Maybe you had a great experience this holiday. Maybe you didn't, and I want to acknowledge that too. But where do we start as we try to grow in wisdom and favor with God and man? How do we start trying to not overlook Jesus? How do we start to, to you know, reconcile the sinful nature of this world in our pursuit of living godly lives? All these questions kind of are you know, rattling around my brain this morning. But the question is, how do we start? And I got one thing for you today. One thing to take into 2022, okay? Examine your rituals. What do I mean by that? Don't fall asleep anymore. Actually, you should definitely sleep. Maybe that's a ritual you need to, you know, maybe impress, you know, more importance on your life. Um, but what I'm saying by this is that we looked at the lives of Mary and Joseph. 
Mary gave birth to God's son. And Mary and Joseph are very, very dedicated people. And like I said, this is not me putting down Mary and Joseph at all. But if they can fall asleep to the rituals, we definitely can. So please examine your rituals. Examine your times where you set aside time to pray. Do you set aside time to pray? And, and I'm not trying to stand up here and shame you into doing anything, but I think this is an opportunity, opportunity for us as we enter the new year to look and say, what am I doing and why am I doing it? Why am I coming to church on Sunday? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Is it just to, you know, do everything according to the customs? Is it just to say that you did it? Is it just to say, oh, I had my Jesus, my, you know, one out of seven days of Jesus time. I'm good. Or is it to connect with this community? Is it to connect with Christ? Is it to be in a community of believers who are trying to do the exact same thing? Examine why you do what you do and see where you can invite Jesus in. And and, and I want to give myself as an example here because I I don't know how many of you have, you know, maybe you had kids, maybe you have grandkids, whatever it is, but nighttime prayers sometimes are a rote ritual. Have you ever been there? Where you sit down with your kids and you, you bow your heads and you, you end up saying the same things over and over again? I want to say that this morning, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes, and I had this conversation with a friend of mine, sometimes it is the best thing to kind of just go into this mode where you are just with your children and you are dedicating your voice and your words to God. You might not be fully in it, but you are taking that time, time aside and doing it. And that's important. So examine why you do what you do. Examine it and see if, God, if you can invite God deeper into the process with you. Uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time and I thank you for the example of, of Jesus and Joseph and Mary and Hannah and, and, and Samuel and just these echoes throughout history of where you show up and you are faithful in the midst of a sinful group of people and also in the midst of a group of people who seem to have it all together. God, you're in the middle of all of that and I want to just say that you are Emmanuel, that you are with us and we need to remember that. But in response to that, as we think about how we can live in the simple world, how we can still pursue you, how we can pursue to grow in wisdom and favor with God and man, help us to examine the things that we do. Maybe invite other practices into our lives. Or just reinvigorate those practices we already do. Help us, God, to ask the question why and invite you into the equation and into the solution. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So during this time uh, of the service, we invite you, if you have any needs, to please come forward and make them known. But you don't just have to come forward. I say this every week. But please tell somebody. If you don't know where to start, if you don't even have any rituals that you feel like that you do on a regular basis, talk to someone who does. The best thing about the church, like I just said, is the group of people who are on different stages of this journey all doing it together. Right? That's a good thing. Please talk to someone today and help them or ask them to help you pursue Christ in a more fervent and passionate way this year. Let's all stand and sing.